Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to exploring all the unexplained mysteries of existence, including enigmatic topics concerning the paranormal, quantum physics, spirituality, cryptids, legends of monsters and supernatural entities, strange history, the esoteric, dark fiction, psychology, philosophy, science and technology, conspiracy theories, as well as anything dark, bizarre, or weird in the world. My name is Tim Hacker, and I will be your host. It's good to talk to you again. This episode is packed with a variety of topics, as requested by listener Buttons Wallace, who's also an article writer for CrypticChronicles.com. I'm going to give an introduction to the SCP universe and the elusive SCP Foundation, which categorizes and contains paranormal threats that face humanity. Then I'll go into a monster legend of the Gasho Dekuro from Japan. And from the shadow person phenomenon, I'll talk about the notorious and malevolent Hatman. The entity is a shadow person that seems to command the sentient shadows that are normal shadow people. And there have been sightings of the Hatman all over the world and throughout human history. What connects all the tales concerning it is the sadistic pleasure the Hatman finds in sorrow, and how it seems to feed off of and be strengthened by suffering. Many people have been terrorized by the Hat Man as it stares at them with red glowing eyes. The majority of encounters with the Hat Man happen when someone is experiencing sleep paralysis. But it is not limited to this, and encounters can happen to anyone at any time. Though it appears a lot to children and younger people more so than adults. But there's still tons of sightings despite how old someone is. Then I'll go into a topic of a more esoteric nature, but still kind of frightening. I've compiled it from a handful of books, and it's the danger of premature third eye activation. I'm sure you've heard of the third eye, the pineal gland, and how many spiritual people seek to awaken this dormant psychic nature hidden within them through meditation and the like. There are literally thousands and thousands of guides on how to open the third eye out there. A quick, uh, quick internet search will give you pages upon pages. However, what's not covered in these guides to open the third eye is the dangers that come with it. This basically means many people who have written guides on how to do it are posers and never actually achieved it themselves. Probably faking it until they make it sort of a thing. Simply writing about it for wish fulfillment or who knows. Uh, in any case, I'll go over the dangers of opening the third eye if someone isn't ready and how their lives can descend into madness and horror. Allegedly, many people have been locked away after becoming insane because they were not prepared. And then finally last, but definitely not least, I'm going to talk about a famous mystic that's been called the father of the New Age movement, which is a pretty bold statement. Or at least uh, he was the one who inspired it. This mystic made many predictions and prophecies that have allegedly come true with a uh, with some kind of hard to argue against objectively. And that is Edgar Casey. You may not know it, but a lot of the more spiritually orientated New Age material out there is actually based off of Casey's teachings. But the most interesting aspect concerning him for me are his tales of Atlantis. Patreon supporters and longtime listeners know I'm a sucker for Atlantis myths. So I've eaten up plenty of material where Casey talks about it. Anyway, so let's get into it, shall we?
For a while now, I've come across many people who enjoy creepy stories and monster legends and folklore and the like. But when I mention an SCP, they stare at me blankly. This is a shame because the SCP universe is extremely rich in fascinatingly creepy content. I mean, when I first came across an SCP, it instantly hooked me and I was basically stuck researching and reading about them all for days. But honestly, the thing that probably got my attention the most was just the very, very, very um, interesting way in which the stories are written. They're usually from a first-person perspective and incredibly unique. And it's really the objective, all-business way in which they're portrayed that make them frightening. If you read them enough, in the back of your mind, you can even fool yourself into believing that the SCP organization is real. It all revolves around the SCP Foundation, an often morally gray, worldwide group dedicated to protecting humanity from supernatural threats. Their goal is to secure, catalog, and if possible, destroy or contain paranormal creatures, objects, or places that are dangerous and beyond the comprehension of ordinary people. It's very important in the SCP universe that the knowledge of all these anomalous things are hidden from the public. SCP stands for Secure, Contain, Protect. So they're kind of the good guys, though to say they believe the ends justify the means would be an understatement concerning their philosophy about how they conduct their business. SCP is also described as special containment procedures. There's many different types of personnel in the organization, ranging from scientists to administrators to the notorious D-Class. D-class are made up of criminals, people who have special abilities, engineers, construction workers, mercenaries, paid soldiers. If there's a job, there's a D-class for that. D-class are considered 100% expendable and there are high casualties for them, constantly. But despite the horrific nature of being a D-class, the organization could not exist without their sacrifice and humanity would have no shield against supernatural threats. But the D-Class are not the only ones in danger, so is basically every single person in the organization. With a lot of the creatures being esoteric in nature or cosmic horrors that cause madness no matter what you do, or how well you think you're defended from them, or how well that SCP is contained. And since it's a multiverse, there's actually different histories and origins of the Foundation with one of them having the foundation evolved from the American Secure Containment Initiative, which was around during the Civil War time period. And then there's others that take the organization back all the way to ancient Greece or even beyond. Though basically all the canon is shared, there is no official canon, so that leaves a lot of room for the writers to be creative in their horror stories, which means that much like the H.P. Lovecraft universe, your own headcanon overrides all other canon. Though despite that open canon, there's solid rules that SCPs have to follow based off of their individual stories, such as SCP-087, also known as the stairwell, which is a dark staircase that appears to go on forever and the descent is always in shadow with the D-Class personnel unable to see what's going on very far ahead of them, even with the brightest lights. And within this eternal staircase resides SCP-087, a paranormal creature without a mouth, pupils, or nostrils, 
and is never fully visible. Its unnerving face is the only noticeable thing in the shadows. And when it's present, it emanates a distressed sound like a crying child. And as one descends the stairs, the entity seems to descend along with them. The SCP Foundation has facilities all over the world. And anywhere that has an anomalous property that cannot be moved has an SCP facility literally built right on top of it. These buildings are always completely kept secret and hidden from the public. But not only the public, this also includes governments and, I guess, any organization outside of the SCP Foundation all over the world. Though there may be SCP personnel in governments, there's never any governments that have personnel inside the SCP Foundation or even really have any influence in its affairs. But the Foundation has its fingers in basically everything, including corporations, law enforcement, you name it. There's a, basically for the most part a Foundation operative everywhere, which means that nothing weird can go down without them knowing about it. The Foundation is beyond government, law, and any oversight whatsoever other than the organization itself. As such, many SCP facilities or containment structures are built to trick any onlooker from thinking that there's anything abnormal about it. The Foundation's facilities themselves are disguised as typical everyday structures and rarely if ever questioned by the public or anyone else for that matter. The way that the SCP Foundation catalogs its anomalous discoveries varies depending on the threat or the nature of the SCP, including the procedures to keep it contained. The first class is the safe class, which means the SCP is very much understood and any danger it may pose is under control of the Foundation, or the SCP poses no real threat in any way whatsoever. Many times containing a safe SCP is as hard as putting it in a box or locking it in a room. Entities under this designation can be openly investigated face-to-face -face or even casually inspected by personnel. The second class is the Euclid class, which means the SCP is dangerous, not fully understood, or not easy to contain. The Euclid class is the most common type of SCP and poses a genuine danger. They often need active supervision, have an ever-changing way to contain them that continually has to be kept up with, or they have an ever-present ability to escape containment. This type of SCP is under heavy guard with a vault-like way of imprisoning it. D-Class personnel suffers casualties to Euclid-Class SCPs regularly, and these things are often the stuff of nightmares. The third class of SCP is the Keter class, which means that the SCP is very, very, very dangerous and able to cause destruction on a massive level. Though, oddly enough, not all Keter-class SCP are actually hazardous in an ever-present manner. Some may be thought of to pose extreme danger just because of their ineffable nature, but have never really been proven to do so. In any case, the organization takes a better safe-than-sorry approach, and these SCP are given a lot of research funds. Keter-class SCP usually require overly complex and elaborate procedures to contain them and if they ever escape, could destroy entire cities, or even worse, the world. Keter-class SCPs are incredibly serious and horrifying that the Foundation will spare no expense in lives or material resources to contain them. That is, if the SCP can be contained at all. Then there's the Thamio-class SCP, 
which is actually beneficial to the SCP Foundation and helps them in their cause in one way or another. The fifth class of SCP is explained and means that the SCP has been logically explained by conventional science. Then there's an Apollyon class SCP. That is the rarest of the rare and entirely beyond the Foundation's abilities control, contain, or even influence in any way. If this type of SCP ever posed a threat to humanity, there would be no fighting it, only extinction. And then there's the Esoteric class, and there's a bunch of other classes that are in a mixture of different canons, but the final type of SCP class I'll talk about is Neutralized, which, as I'm sure you can guess, means that the SCP has been destroyed or ceased any anomalous danger or behavior. Though if a neutralized class SCP is uh, not destroyed and just has stopped doing weird stuff, it is still constantly under review and observation by the organization, just in case its paranormal nature pops back up. The SCP Foundation exists in a multiverse of cosmic horrors, interdimensional threats, and paranormal entities so creepy and horrifying, they cause madness and destruction on a level ordinary humans can't even comprehend. But despite all of the nightmarish cases the Foundation conducts regularly, it's on the front line of the battle for human existence in a world seemingly hell-bent on humankind's annihilation. The Foundation's mission statement is as follows. While the rest of mankind dwells in the light, we must stand in the darkness to fight it, contain it, and shield it from the eyes of the public, so that others may live in a sane and normal world. Next up, we have an interesting monster legend from Japan. The Japanese have some of the craziest and most exciting monster legends out there. I mean, seriously, if you like weird and awesome, yeah, they're great. The Gashodokuro is a yokai from Japan. Yokai meaning demon, I guess, for the Japanese. It's a giant skeleton that roams the countryside at night. Their teeth constantly chatter, and there's always a sound of rattling bones that emanates off them. However, despite all this noise that they make, if there's any prey around, then they're absolutely silent. The bone rattling and all the noise they make can only be heard if the monster is unaware that anyone's around looking at them. But if the monster does notice a human nearby, it becomes eerily silent, able to sneak up on someone with incredible speed and stealth, despite their massive size. A Gashodokuro pops up out of nowhere, which is always stunningly horrifying to its next victim. For example, a person could be standing on a balcony looking out into the night, turn around, 
And when they look back, the eyeless sockets of a giant skull will be there looking at them. They can appear as if from nowhere. And in this monster legend, the creature stalks its prey anywhere and everywhere, basically hunting any human they randomly come across. Though for the most part, the monster hunts lone travelers on the road. A gashed Okuro will reach out and pick up an unsuspecting victim with their giant skeletal hands and then crush them slowly. Then the monster bites off the victim's head and tips them above their gaping maw to drink their blood as if drinking from a cup. It's pretty gruesome. However, the Gashidokuro do not perform this act because they need to feed. They only murder humans because they enjoy it. And when they're done, the victim's bones are absorbed into the Gashidokuro, which increases its size. This monster legend is pretty renowned because much Japanese folklore revolves around monstrous Gashidokuro. The creation of these malevolent nightmares is esoteric and sorrowful. The monster is made from the bones of people who have died from starvation. The bodies of soldiers left to rot on some forsaken battlefield are people who died in the wilderness. The reoccurring theme is people who were unable to receive proper funeral rites or souls too traumatized to move on by how they died or how they were treated in life. These people become hungry revenants who much covet the living. The horrible way in which they died echoes eternally with the emotions they felt remaining strong long after the flesh has rotted away from their bones. These tormented souls are slaves to an overwhelming grudge against the living. The bones of hundreds of dead gathering together to merge into one another who share in this evil obsession and esoterically turns them into a Gashidokuro. The objective best way to describe this monster is that they are entities of sorrow. And the tales of them are quite ancient because the oldest known legend of them goes back over a thousand years. It tells the tale of a rebellion whose leader had a powerful sorceress as a daughter. When the warlord died, his daughter continued the resistance that he started. She used her dark magic to summon a Gashidokuro and attack an important city which utterly terrorized its occupants and destroyed their morale. The giant bone monster was then used for crushing the enemies of the sorceress utterly. There was literally nothing that could stand in its way. The Gashidokuro were much more commonly seen in Japan back in the days of eternal war, famine, and violent murder. In modern times, there usually isn't enough tormented souls to form a Gashidokuro. Which is good because, like I said about the sorceress's war, they're unstoppable and impossible to defeat. This monster only ceases to be once the negative energy that created it has burnt out like a candle. And the only way to really defend yourself against a Gashidokuro is to not travel or wander around the countryside at night. Because if one spots you, it almost certainly means your end. Dear listener, have you ever had a paranormal experience? A spiritual or esoteric experience? Have you ever seen a UFO or something that you could not explain? 
Have you ever witnessed anomalous activity that defies reality? Have you ever experienced unexplained mysteries of existence? If you have your own cryptic tale and would like to have it shared on the podcast, then call 1-800-757-6049 and leave a message of your experience. If it's what Cryptic Chronicles is all about, then it will be shared on the show. Just make sure you thought about what you will say ahead of time and give a clear and concise account. Also make sure to leave your name, where you're from, or any information that will assist in making a clear picture to portray to listeners of Cryptic Chronicles. Once again, call 1-800-757-6049. That's 1-800-757-6049. We look forward to hearing from you. We've talked about shadow people before on the show. In fact, there's an entire episode dedicated to it, with most likely many more to come. But the Hat Man is unique in that he is not really a shadow person. Well, he is a shadow person, but he's more like an alpha shadow person, I guess. Maybe the leader of a bunch of them. But in any case, the Hat Man is a terrifying legend that has grown in infamy since the shadow person phenomenon became a part of the pop culture paranormal consciousness around the turn of the century. Though tales surrounding it goes back generations or even millennia, if you really want to dig into it, there's basically been accounts of encounters with this mysterious entity from all over the world and throughout human history. According to some, the hat man is a demon. Others, especially uh, like uh, New Age believers, maybe, they claim it to be an interdimensional being which feeds off negative energy. Especially the feeling of fear, which, as you probably know, can permeate humans pretty strongly and consistently. It's attracted to hostile environments like places saturated with conflict, violence, or just depression or sadness. Dysfunctional families or places of abuse attract the entity, and some who claim to have encountered it say it's been with them since childhood. There have been different descriptions of the hat man, but they all share similarities. It usually appears as a silhouette of a man that's blacker than the blackest black, like a darker than night itself, like a void absence of light. It seems to be wearing some sort of trench coat and always wears a hat, which is usually described as a fedora or a wide brimmed hat. And in most encounters, the hat man is said to have red glowing eyes but it's also been described to appear in a more humanoid form, sporting a black beard and wearing a black suit with a long overcoat or a cloak, and of course with all attire being the darkest black. Yet no matter how it manifests, it's always wearing some sort of hat. When the hat man is around, there is always a tangible feeling of hopelessness and oppressive energy that fills the atmosphere of the area. While Normal shadow people usually vanish after being looked at. The hat man does no such thing. In fact, there's even encounters where the entity has an entourage of shadow people surrounding him as if they're his minions or something. Also, the hat man seems to be more of a physical threat who can touch, attack, or even choke its victims. There's also those who say he can manipulate people's minds, causing them mental torment, which can even lead to insanity. 
Encounters with the Hetman mostly occur when the victim is in some sort of altered state, like the hypnagogic state between falling asleep and waking up, with terrifying visitations also occurring during sleep paralysis, where the person is aware of everything going on around them, but unable to move a muscle despite the horror. And allegedly also those who have more of a psychic awakening or awareness also encounter the hat man. Children especially are susceptible to having encounters with him. The entity is either attracted to or causes misfortune, violence, mental health issues, and even death. Whether the hat man is uh, the source of bad luck or an ill omen of things to come isn't known. However, what is known is the malevolent nature of the entity that it exhibits to all who encounter it. Some even claim that soul stealing is its demonic intention if the victim's sanity can be shattered enough. And the odd thing about documented encounters with the entity is that there are so many different situations that have inspired a visitation, including things that you would never think of linking it to, such as alien abductions. There have been abductees who, when they're in the alien spacecraft, claim to have seen the hat man. Others have even said that the entity has visited them after messing with a Ouija board. But it doesn't require the paranormal to attract the hat man. It also just visits people who are in a state of chaos in their lives, such as those losing jobs, friends, loved ones, or even lovers. And even stranger still, the hat man can attach itself to bloodlines with some families reporting the entity visiting their kin for generations. Similar to the Irish Banshee, in fact. Wherever the hat man manifests, it causes paranoia, anxiety, and it always emanates malevolence. But like most legends, the hat man remains enigmatic and a source of much debate. And thanks to the internet, it doesn't look like tales about him will die out anytime soon. Welcome to the Chamber of Mysteries. I am Anubis, the Egyptian god of death and guide through the underworld. Recently, the goddess Ma'at pointed out to me that the scales of justice have not been in balance. This is not good and can bring chaos to the multiverse. But you, dear mortal, may help in averting this cosmic disaster by supporting Cryptic Chronicles. In doing so, you will gain ad-free episodes of the podcast, as well as bonus content only for patrons. In spreading free thinking and higher knowledge, the forces of darkness are kept at bay. Simply subscribe to the Chronicler's Vault at crypticchronicles.com. And by pledging a single dollar a month, you can help keep Apophis in the void and Ra's sky chariot soaring proudly through the universe. Also, subscribe to the Cryptic Chronicles YouTube channel 
it is in its infancy right now, but with more support, there will be more time to post more content. So subscribe, share, talk. These things help. Anubis, don't forget to tell them about iTunes and spreading the show. Oh, right. Thank you, Ma'at. Please, mortal, help broaden the scope of listeners for the podcast by leaving a good review on iTunes and share every episode or any Cryptic Chronicles content as much as you can. In doing so, we can increase the audience and fans for the show, spreading it across all the consciousness of humanity. Help fight the darkness by supporting Cryptic Chronicles and assist the Goddess of the Scales and I, Anubis, God of Death, in bringing balance to the planes of existence. The astral currents must be calmed and the opposites must be reconciled. As above, so below. Farewell, mortal. So in a lot of new age material, there's a big focus on opening the third eye or healing the pineal gland, things of that nature. But what most people don't realize is even in those esoteric teachings, there's a pretty big danger and risks involved with doing such a thing, especially to the unwary who have done no preliminary work whatsoever. Most amateur spirit seekers are ignorant of the risks beyond the activation of the dormant pineal gland inside the brain. And like usual, I'm not trying to prove anyone of anything. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. This is just a compilation of research gained to present this to you. So if you don't believe in such stuff, just take this as it is as entertainment. And in opening the third eye, it really can only be done through a healthy pineal gland which many believe is a gateway that activates higher states of consciousness, as well as the ability to see beyond the veil of mundane existence. It's been said to be the seat of the soul, the heart of spiritual power, and the eye, which can be used to see into the etheric realms, or the astral plane. And even though the pineal gland is thrown in with like, um, you know, like new age spiritual stuff, it's actually very real. It's medically proven to be inside your brain. Sadly, the thing about the pineal gland, though, is it's pretty much it's pretty much calcified over from birth because of all the bombardments of chemicals that were given at a young age. And the generation that came before us, like the older generations, they have much, much more difficulty in healing their pineal gland because they weren't really aware of all the poison that they were constantly putting into their system. But those who believe in such phenomena as the third eye, though difficult and challenging to do, it's completely possible to open the third eye, 
which will inevitably lead to profound life-changing experiences. With it comes the awakening of psychic powers that can lead to understanding the true nature of the universe. Because, once activated, there is no turning back to the ignorant materialistic existence that came before. Some spirit seekers even become obsessed with obtaining third eye awakening, willing to achieve it at any cost. In this information age, there are many details and instructions out there on how to achieve the activation of the pineal gland. Basically, anyone can find one with just a quick Google search. However, what is often left out is the darker nature of the third eye. Everything exists in a series of polarities. Where there is light, a shadow must also be cast. This is self-evident in nature, and any of the wisdom traditions came to this conclusion thousands of years ago. And this leads to those unready to experience higher consciousness finding themselves overwhelmed in waking nightmares. And once the gate is opened, it can't be closed. Essentially, opening the third eye can be a wonderfully profound experience, or the descent into hell. With the third eye open, the individual will be able to see into the etheric worlds existing beyond space-time, also called the astral plane, or it has different names in different traditions, etc. In the higher worlds of thought, a person's emotions and mindset can be like a magnet, drawing things of the same polarity to that individual. To those who have not done the spiritual work necessary to bear such esoteric powers, the unprepared can unwittingly attract darkness through lower vibrations. The spiritual sight endowed by a healthy, awakened pineal gland slash third eye is capable of seeing all that is the darkness and the light. Anger, fear, self-loathing, insecurities, or any of the lower vibrational emotions can be seen like a fire in the night and attract things beyond mundane comprehension. Opening the third eye before being ready can completely imbalance one's whole subtle energy body, as well as the energies in the physical body, and leave an undisciplined mind in a sea of dissidence. An awakened pineal gland without a person being grounded can cause disorientation, dissociation, migraines, headaches, as well as physical and mental fatigue. To see past the veil and into the spiritual world should never be a task taken lightly unless one wishes to leave their sanity behind. To forcibly open the third eye is a recipe for disaster, and those who wish to do it for selfish or materialistic reasons can expect a rude awakening. Nearly all spiritual abilities work correctly from holistic practice of meditation and other grounding techniques to create a balanced equilibrium. The undisciplined mind is a haven for chaos, and this is exactly what will be attracted. So basically an unfiltered third eye is not something you'd really wish on anyone, even your worst enemy. Being able to see every spirit at all times would be a life similar to the kind that the kid had in the movie The Sixth Sense. You'd be waking up in the middle of the night to see frightening things in your room or open a door and see shadowy figures standing beyond. Instead of these things being daydreams of the imagination, they will be real, everyday life occurrences. And sadly, there are many children who are born pretty much with this uh, ability half open or half activated, as is, and they slowly lose it when they get older. Not only because of all the chemicals and poisons pumped into them, 
but because of the conditioning around seeing such things. And without any of the grounding work being done, there will be no spiritual protection built up naturally. The unprepared will be a beacon to malevolent forces wishing to feed off of their energy. Sights, intuitions, emotions, and dreams will be forced into the victim's consciousness with no filter by these negative entities, which goes without saying will leave the person in a consistent condition of distress without any of the enlightenment they were hoping for. To go willingly into the unknown with courage undaunted is a virtue, but to do so unprepared is sadly more common than expected. But fear-mongering is pointless. Human beings have the pineal gland for a reason. According to many spiritual traditions, it's every soul's destiny to eventually awaken this eye at some point in a physical incarnation within the multiverse, which has also been called the Great Work. But nothing worth having comes without risks or hard work and dedication. H.P. Lovecraft said that humanity's oldest and greatest fear is the unknown. To open one's third eye is to willingly walk directly into the unknown. And many modern New Age proponents talk about the subject in a very lighthearted manner, placing a little emphasis on the risks involved, which has led many into a downward spiral of madness and horror. When the truly ineffable vastness of the invisible and the entities that inhabit the countless planes of existence become apparent, otherworldly beings may be drawn to you because you have separated yourself from the original timeline, and those that dwell beyond space-time see you eternally. So essentially, um, if you've seen weird stuff when you were a kid, you probably encountered that thing originally when you were far older. There is no longer a past or future to how they can interact with you in your current incarnation. From birth to death, they see you in an ever-present now. To quote Nietzsche, Once you are awake, you will be awake eternally. So basically, once the third eyes open, you'll begin to see things, feel things, sense things, and experience things on an energetic level like never before. Mundane humans can only see very little with their organic eyes on many different levels, including the light spectrum and so on. Not to mention just all of the countless, like literally countless things filtered out by your subconscious. Most people are actually consciously aware of very little, not only in their own psychology and what's going on around them, but basically all the invisible things that constantly surround us in our everyday lives that we're just not biologically built to see. But after awakening, the third eye will see the invisible as clear as day. This cascade of sensory overload can be far too much to bear, much less comprehended. This includes countless types of spirits, such as those on the astral plane, the primordial elementals, including demons, fairies, nature spirits, aliens, among a long list of other interdimensional entities to the straight-up spirits of the dead. Depending on who you ask or what spiritual tradition one is coming from, there are countless names for these entities, not to mention the inner demons buried within the subconscious mind that will come out to confront one head-on. To activate the pineal gland or to open the third eye is to open a door to the unconscious, which is actually where the majority of your true self resides. The persona and ego are just the tip of the iceberg. 
the real you is invisible far beneath the waves. The very archetypes themselves, uh, they've come from beyond physical matter and are shared between all humanity in the collective unconscious. If you're unfamiliar with the archetypes or how they basically influence all humans, then you might want to research that a bit or wait for me to release content covering it. In modern science, they can be summed up pretty much as just instincts. Like, you, um, like a shark doesn't have to be taught how to be a shark. And certain animals just naturally know what to do in certain situations. This is attributed to archetypes of animals, and human beings have the same sort of thing. Though in the modern age, people constantly try to suppress it and make light of it. To many ancient civilizations, they were called gods. And human beings had a very different consciousness back then and thought that, say, when somebody was angry, they were being taken over by Mars. Or Ares in Greek, my bad. In a lot of ways, the ancient pantheons were psychology, with these archetypes being the foundation for the old saying that humanity is just the playthings of the gods, and that we're a lot less in control than what we think. As one's consciousness and awareness expands through awakening the third eye, one can actually control how they interact with the archetypes, and even allow or not allow their influence even invoking certain attributes that they need in any moment. Beginning a relationship with the archetypes that dwell within the collective unconscious will, for the first time, begin to allow one to have more control over their own fate. One does not become enlightened by imagining beings of light, but by making the darkness conscious, to quote Carl Jung. But to encounter one's shadow for the first time will always be frightening. However, shadow work is the key to becoming a whole and self-actualized person. Through a healthy and working pineal gland and an awakened third eye, one will become very aware of their shadow, whether they want to or not. And after awakening, all sight and senses will go far beyond the physical realm, and the person will be much more susceptible to the influences of the spiritual planes. It can be utterly emotionally draining, to say the least. Low vibrations will attract dark entities that will break a person down slowly over time, feeding off the negative energy. They'll want you to feel fear, hopelessness, and despair, with no rest whether awake or sleeping since they can invade a victim's dreams to torment them there as well. However, it is important to remember too that no matter how many negative entities there are, there are just as many good ones and those with infinite shades of gray. The only problem is the positive ones can't really communicate or manifest in places of low vibration, which also includes a cluttered and messy environment. Negative energy is literally like a gate that keeps the beings of the light at bay, or benevolent aliens, depending on what you're reading. So in order to continue their easy meal, the dark entities will attempt to keep a never-ending cycle of their victim's suffering, which, without proper help or knowledge, is incredibly difficult to break free from. Those unprepared to enter the spiritual worlds and see things through the third eye may find themselves losing their sanity and falling down a spiral of self-destruction. This is why those in the know will always suggest the most cautious approach to awakening this gate into the unknown, being grounded with a calm, disciplined mind first, 
means the negative entities from other dimensions will not be able to manifest or have power over someone. The other planes of existence are not for those unready to see. There are many people who should completely avoid the dangerous prospects of opening the third eye, and it should not be attempted unless one's life is in order and they have a disciplined spiritual practice. As consciousness and awareness expand, it may also cut off one from their fellow human beings and make it harder for them to live a normal life in society, something that should be avoided at all costs but is quite common in the enlightenment process. This is where meditation and grounding work again comes into play to balance the person, allowing them to still live a normal life in society and have friends and other relationships with uh, sleeping people. One should always avoid alienating themselves from the rest of our fellow human beings. Just walk the middle path and keep your spiritual encounters to yourself or to others that are also awake. Because to tell people things beyond their comprehension is the same as lying to them. And spirit seekers should never cast pearls before swine. Those who worship the god of TV are immersed in mainstream media and are simply part of the conditioned herd may even attack you because it shakes the little box that they've accepted as reality. Despite this though, the truly enlightened will never hold their ignorance against them, because all were once where they are, and not all are destined to cross the veil in this lifetime. Though it does seem that a select few number of people are born into it without any choice of their own in every generation. The awakening of the pineal gland to see through the third eye is a very noble goal and should definitely be pursued to transcend the mundane consciousness regular human beings are trapped within. However, the danger should always be kept in mind and the preliminary work done with the utmost dedication. Courage and daunted, a disciplined spiritual practice of meditation and grounding, patience, and the integration of one's shadow self is key. Hi there, thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry, and if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. But most of all, thanks for listening.
realized we hadn't talked about mystics in a while on the show and uh, decided to decided that we might enjoy a little chat about Edgar Casey, who's probably one of the most well-known and uh, influential mystics in probably the past hundred years or so. Casey was an American self-professed clairvoyant and psychic. He'd answer questions about a variety of topics and a lot of New Age beliefs, actually. They actually come from uh, his prophecies or things he said. In fact, some even actually consider him the father of the New Age movement and was the founder for the Association of Research and Enlightenment. Topics he covered included reincarnation, healing, wars, Atlantis, the future, the past, anything, you name it. And it's funny how a lot of his uh, ideas and uh, things he said about holistic health and things of that nature were actually proven correct in the 20th century. And this guy blew a lot of people's minds. Even one of his biographers was so impressed by him that he called him the sleeping prophet. He was considered incredibly intelligent, genius, and uh, by, his, by his teachers, he almost across the board was considered that teacher's best student. So this mystic had a pretty big brain, just like most of them, it seems. But he's probably most well known for all of his prophecies. Kind of like Nostradamus, he made a whole bunch of them. And I guess, depending on your point of view, a lot of them have come true. But Casey also weirded a lot of people out because he said a lot of strange stuff when he was younger, such as being able to see auras around people, and that he spoke to angels and heard voices of departed relatives and seemed to have a lot of psychic phenomena going on constantly. When Casey got older, he claimed that almost every single day, sometimes several times a day for more than 40 years, he'd astral project. He didn't really call it that, but nowadays that's probably what that'd be called, or an OBE. He'd purposely induce himself into out-of-body experiences, and it revealed a bunch of profound information to him. He claimed to get a lot of knowledge concerning human origins, dreams, meditation, prayer, religion, different realms, uh, afterlife realms, the soul, the spirit, and basically a bunch of secrets about consciousness and the nature of it. At first glance, he might seem like a charlatan and definitely a lot of the things he said should be taken with a grain of salt. But at the same time, he went out of his way constantly to help a lot of people and never made any profit, and not only never made any profit, but never asked for anything in return. So he did all of his uh, spiritual work for free. He also never really tried to be in the spotlight all the time or make a huge name for himself. So all that goes against him being a charlatan. He said all this stuff and I'm convinced that he really believed that it was true to him. And he was also an optimist, which is pretty cool. And in these days of pessimism and science as a religion, where everybody worships the god of TV, he saw the future of humanity as a golden dawn and bright, and that we weren't even close to reaching our potential yet. His visions and prophecies would talk about a golden age for humanity yet to come, one of enlightenment and peace, where people have evolved basically to the point that they have supernatural powers, with humans opening doorways to their subconscious and altogether ascending from our more primal nature. But his prophecies also spoke of a dark time that had to come before all that, one that's pretty apocalyptic and freaky. Edgar Cayce claimed to see all kinds of world events to come, but probably the most interesting things he said concerned Atlantis. 
at least to me. I've always really loved Atlantis stories ever since I was a kid. I wish I knew about him back then because it would have been pretty cool, but I guarantee you my mom would have never let me go anywhere near Edgar Casey. I mean, I love Atlantis stories so much. I've even read about the pretty out there starseed stories about Atlantis. So yeah, I eat that stuff up. But contradictory to a lot of other apocalyptic prophecies and beliefs, Edgar Casey said that all of that stuff could be avoided if humanity just kind of changed its behavior, which is extremely hard to do in our world cultural climate because of all the media telling us how to think all the time. But at least he had hope. In his own lifetime, Casey's prophecies became well-known all over the world, and he gained a whole bunch of followers and fans. And his uh, across-the-board main message to basically anyone who would listen was that all individuals in the world had a responsibility to one another. And out of his prophecies, probably the coolest one that seems to have come true was the crash of the stock market back in 1929. He also prophesied uh, pre-war revolutions in uh, foreign countries before World War II, both the rise and fall of Adolf Hitler, the date of the beginning of World War II, the date of America's entry into the war, a bunch of decisive World War II battles, and of course he also predicted the date of the end of the war, as well as uh, America's future role as, I guess the... What are we called during that period? The keepers of uh, balance? No. The maintainers of like the balance of power in the world? Anyway, we were the arsenal for democracy, quote unquote, and uh, brought about like a, a long lasting peace, despite the Cold War and all that. Casey prophesied all of that, as well as the deaths of FDR and JFK. One of his other interesting date of death prophecies was actually his own. He prophesied the very day he'd die, and he died on that day. And he also foresaw, not too long after his death, the establishment of the United Nations. And despite Casey's, like, uh, Christian mystic leanings, he didn't have an issue with certain occult secret societies such as the Freemasons. Even though conspiracy theorists go crazy about them these days, and are pretty irrational in their hatred and judgment towards them. And even back then when Casey was alive, there was a lot of people that were skeptical about them. When he was asked what he thought about Freemasonry, this is what he said, and I quote, Freemasonry is a spiritual force which seeks to improve men morally and spiritually by associating with other idealistic men who want to improve the quality of life around them by means of teaching its members the principles involved in attaining a universal brotherhood of man. The principal purposes of the fraternity are to develop brotherly love and respect for truth, not the truths of scientific facts or history, but the truths which guide a man to live happily and harmoniously with his fellow man. For that reason, Masonic meetings do not permit the introduction of discussions about sectarian religious differences or partisan political opinions. Freemasonry is an educational organization where Masons learn to teach the truths of morality, justice, patriotism, and the necessity of brotherly love to achieve those universal ideals. Casey also understood that George Washington himself was an extremely high-ranking Mason, along with basically all the Founding Fathers, and 
America is founded on the idealism of masonry from this point of view. Not saying that is a fact, but according to Casey, Hermeticism, Freemasonry, all of these high ideals that are based off wisdom traditions were the foundation of America. Even more interestingly, um, he also predicted that India would become independent from Britain, as well as predictions of humanity's origins, which would actually later be proved accurate by mainstream science. Also for Christians and for Jews too, he had an interesting prophecy about these people called the Essene community. The Essene were a sect of the second temple of Judaism that flourished around 200 BC. They aren't mentioned in the Bible, but they are mentioned in historical texts, or not in historical texts. They are legitimately historical, but they're classical writings of Josephus and Pliny the Elder. Oh, and uh, Philo. Josephus gave an incredibly detailed account of the Jewish war that took place in 75 AD. They were the philosophical, well, they were one of three sects that uh, each had different Jewish philosophy. The Pharisees, which if you know anything about the Bible, ring a bell pretty quick, and then the Sadducees. Josephus states that the Essene were one of the three sects of Judaism at this time, and may or may not have roots in Kabbalah, the uh, secret form of Judaism that isn't taught to the masses that Jesus was taught in. But they also did crazy stuff like uh, they talked to angels and kept the names of angels and they had a lot of sacred writings and things of that nature. They were kind of the weird, uh, they were the weird mystical sect of Judaism, not to be confused with Kabbalah, but more than likely related. And the location that they're associated with is the Dead Sea. Well, they also had other places that they were associated with, but their main home, I guess, if you'd call it their home, if it, if they had a home, would be the Dead Sea. And pretty much all evidence points towards them being the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are incredibly famous. But though, remember, I'm just quoting stuff that I read. I'm not trying to say that any of this is 100% factual, though there's a lot of historically accurate things about it. So don't get mad at me that I said Jesus practiced Kabbalah and that the Essene were the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone. But Casey predicted that the Dead Sea Scrolls were written by the Essene and the date and where they'd be found. But that was just one of a couple of pretty interesting prophecies concerning the Jews. Because he also prophesied that there'd be a return of the nation of Israel, which obviously happened. But of course, Casey's most fascinating prophecy to me was the discovery of a bit of Atlantis. And the names and everything all fit together pretty smoothly here. This is what he said in his prophecy, and I quote, A portion of the temples may yet be discovered under the slime of ages of seawater, near what is known as Bimini, off the coast of Florida and in the temple records that were in Egypt, where the entity later acted in cooperation with others in preserving the records that came from the land where these had been kept. And Poseidia will be among the first portions of Atlantis to rise again. Expect it in 68 and 69. 1968 and 1969. Not so far away. And guess what happened on September 3rd, 1968? 
In the Florida Times Union, a Jacksonville newspaper, an article was entitled, Do Bahamas Hold Clue to Atlantis Legend? Because somebody in the Bahamas reportedly found Atlantis. And uh, guess where the, uh, guess what the, guess what the island was called where it was found? Bimini. So Casey was a little bit off when he said that it would be off the coast of Florida, but it's funny because the paper that covered it was called Florida. And he said that Poseidia would be the first one to be found, which is in the Pacific Ocean, not really the Atlantic Ocean, but close enough. So a lot of his stuff is slightly off, but still creepily close, like especially since he predicted the year. And that site that was found is known as the Bimini Road which is a long, long, long underwater, I guess, road full of like megalithic stones that are perfectly mathematically assembled. And they pretty much are considered man-made other than the most crazily self-delusional skeptic. The, the crazy coincidences of all of what he said and what actually happened are really ridiculous. Like one in a bajillion chances. The Bimini Road is almost the equivalent of finding pyramids under the ocean. But there's also some other theories that, uh, that uh, describe how the Bimini Road could have came about, but I'm not really going to get into those because I covered those in the Patreon episode, Ancient Advanced Civilizations. And in that episode, I go into more mundane reasons of how it might have come about. But it's definitely man-made, unless you believe in swamp dust or something. What was the UFO thing? Swamp gas. Yeah, if you believe in swamp gas, then it's probably not man-made. However, Casey said that Bimini, the Bimini Road, is one of the last uh, outposts of the ancient empire of Atlantis that was destroyed in cataclysm around 10 to 12,000 years ago. He spoke about the Atlanteans being very, very advanced for their time like even more advanced than we are now, but in a different way, like they didn't use things that damaged the environment for their technology. Our technology is much more crude compared to theirs. Like they could travel the entire world with no electronics whatsoever. All they had to do was look at the stars and it was like common knowledge across the board, you know, that kind of technology. That sounds primitive, but think about how advanced somebody would have to be to just have that knowledge in their head as a casual attribute. It's almost like humans downgraded in a way, like uh, degraded, because the humans from Casey's Atlantis were much more than we are now. The humans that we come from were on the mainland and were extremely primitive, like what our, like what our archeology span says. And Casey states that when the Atlantis civilization was destroyed, they went off to different parts of the world and essentially educated the normal humans like uh, go back to Tepe or uh, Egypt. They, a lot of them went to Egypt and created that society. The few survivors of Atlantis would go on to be the teachers and fathers of humanity as we know it today, though sadly, almost all of their technology and wisdom was lost. Almost all of it. But don't get me wrong, because the ancient Atlanteans were not only like expert mathematicians and masters of science, they had crazy technology you could think of that would be futuristic, such as lasers. Or they could have flying machines, spaceships, whatever. He doesn't really go into detail, but he, they definitely did have flying machines. But if you go read the Starseed stuff about Atlantis, then hell yeah, the Atlanteans had spaceships, 
and they were hanging out with cat people. But that's a different story. The Atlanteans of Casey were highly advanced, though, and they were psychically awake. They could astral project. They could control their own body heat, heal their own bodies at accelerated rates through meditation and focus, interact with occult entities or inter interdimensional beings or like, uh, you know, spirits. They were probably, according to Casey, what we are destined to become. And also, according to Casey, a lot of the souls that were once Atlanteans in the past have been incarnating into America for a long time now, not only to help enlighten human consciousness, but to also oppose the more darker side of the influence that we have in modern times. Not going to get into that stuff, but the souls of Atlanteans are being reincarnated to help awaken the masses and shake them out of their cultural dream or the dream programmed into them through cultural conditioning. So Casey was pretty far ahead of his time when TV wasn't even really a thing, or the way that uh, everybody uses subliminal messaging and all the subtext to everything and symbolism. According to him, he saw all that stuff long before it ever became the reality that it did slowly until it is now, which is a perfectly oiled machine. Despite that though, and despite how much control the darker, people who want to control things get, they can never have total control and they can never truly win. And this is for a whole bunch of different reasons, but one of the main ones to Casey was because of the Atlantean souls incarnating. <laughs> so yeah, the, the Edgar Casey stuff gets pretty cerebral and weird, but damn is it interesting. Just remember to take it all with a grain of salt, but if it resonates with you, hey. More of Casey's predictions were religious freedom that would come to the Soviet Union, as well as the collapse of communism and the Soviet Union, as well as a declaration that there'd be a shift in Earth's magnetic poles that would happen around the millennium, which uh, actually occurred back in 1998. It was a pretty big scientific anomaly that was popular to people who cared about that kind of stuff. He also said we'd find another planet he called Vulcan, which would be called Pluto. And honestly, I could go on and on because he made tons of predictions and it's creepy because a lot of them seem to come true. Not all of them, but he's got a pretty good track record if you can put the pieces together. Edgar Casey did a lot more other than just giving prophecies about the future. He'd give life readings, past life readings, like all the crazy weird esoteric stuff you can imagine. And he gave uh, one of those words that is around New Age circles now, ascendance. That's why if you hang out spiritual people who are really into that kind of stuff, they'll talk about ascending and things of that nature. Which is one of Casey's references to a new human root race that would evolve and uh, would spiritually awaken. But it could also just be a reference for spiritual enlightenment, I guess. He made something like 14,000 predictions and readings, uh, more than that probably. But uh, the reason I really enjoy his story is because he has such a positive outlook for the future and humanity. Something I have not really seen very much in my adult life. But who's to say that's a wrong thing? It's pretty self-evident how ruthless nature is. Casey was also a pioneer in researching NDEs which means near-death experience. 
And it was through his own NDEs and his research into other people's NDEs that he concluded that, well, through his visions of the future, he concluded that the future is not fixed and can change. Humanity's free will and forgotten or suppressed or dormant higher nature had the power to overcome astronomical forces of nature. And he also emphasized that timelines and future events were not fixed and that there could be multiple timelines and things of that nature. So his way of um, looking at the future is that it was always changing from moment to moment based on our current actions and decisions. This principle is also supported by quantum physics, which is kind of fascinating. And he was actually all around fascinating to anyone who met him. In 1910, the New York Times carried two pages of headlines and pictures in which he was declared world's most mysterious man. And there were a bunch of articles and headlines and stuff like that. And he met a bunch of famous people like uh, President Woodrow Wilson, etc. Like he was very famous and popular in the right circles. Because like I said, he never sought fame or anything like that and would talk to anyone this like, it didn't matter who you were, homeless people, poor, addicts, anyone, you name it. He was there for them first and foremost. He would never choose a rich person over a poor person and things like that. So he was incredibly humble his whole life too, as well as being this like massive force of nature that uh, is claimed to be the father of the New Age movement. This guy is incredibly fascinating, and I'm going to come back to him probably in the future, but for now we're going to put Edgar Casey away. He died in 1945 and left an incredibly profound legacy behind him. That's all for this episode. If you'd like to hear more SCP material, let me know. I find them very interesting and creepy. In fact, a lot of Buttons Wallace's stories on the website are inspired by the SCP universe. So go give them a read. They're called The Great Man, The New God, and The Discarded. And if you like them, tell Buttons what you think in the comments. I'm sure he'd really appreciate it. The Hat Man, or shadow people information in general is always creepy and fascinating. I think that Elizabeth and I should do another exclusive episode on shadow people. Probably, I don't know, sometime soon. Definitely in episodes to come. I'll have to read a couple books on the topic. I'm sure she's dying to come back for another podcast session. And yeah, it's been too long. And of course, the Edgar Casey stuff. That guy is really fascinating to read about. And uh, his... Uh, whole legacy is mind-boggling but uh, i love him for the atlantis stuff and also make sure you're careful if you ever try to open up your third eye because you might go cray cray if you're wondering why it's been over a month since the last episode it's because i've been very busy running two homeless shelters now which is my day job and since it's winter things have been getting pretty busy leaving me very little free time. Just like last year, the episode started to slow down around now. The homeless really need 
Well, the homeless really needed my focus and attention for a bit. As things calm down, I'll release more content more often. But for now, it'll just be in steady doses. Consistent and steady, but not all the time. I'll do my best. And I have a voicemail now that you can directly call. So if you have your own cryptic tale that you'd like to have shared on the podcast, call 1-800-757-6049. And just leave a message. Or if you just want to leave me feedback or us feedback for some of the writers or any future content you'd like to have covered, just say it there. The more weird or profound, the better. Again, that number is 1-800-757-6049. Tell me all about your own paranormal experiences and whatnot. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, as well as basically all podcast hubs and hosts. Remember to subscribe to Cryptic Chronicles on YouTube, follow us on social media such as Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, and of course, visit the website at crypticchronicles.com. Join our Facebook group. We uh, post a lot of weird stuff and it's awesome. And as always, I'd like to thank some of our Patreon supporters. Shout out to Kenny, Stephanie Wilkie, Linda Gonzalez, Mark Lane, and Angela Delaire. If you would like to support the show, then please go to crypticchronicles.com and click on the Chronicler's Vault. At just a buck a month, you can unlock unreleased episodes of the show, as well as an ad-free version of the podcast and other goodies. Depending on what you pledge, you can even come co-host an episode with me, not to mention joining the Discord server. And as always, thank you for supporting Cryptic Chronicles. The more you help me, the more I can give you back essentially. All the money I make from Cryptic Chronicles either goes towards helping homeless people or towards just getting gear and new stuff for the podcast and the show, the website, you name it. It goes towards all the stuff to just give you guys better content. And uh, yeah, most of all, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Tim Hacker. And as a very profound thinker once said, love yourself, think for yourself, and question authority.